Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 3rd of June, 2020. This is episode 246 of Bitcoin and. I'm deeply sorry for your loss. Unfortunately, we live in a system that will not allow us to thrive or strive and has continually been literally on our necks. So my macro solution for this problem for everyone is to opt out and exit the economy as a whole. And the way we do that is by buying Bitcoin. The longer this party goes, the more party goers are finally going to get it, man. This kid got it. He's at a protest somewhere. I don't know where. It This thing lit up all over Twitter yesterday because word on the street is it that this is the new Bitcoin sign guy. I I like Bitcoin sign guy, but I got to tell you, man, uh, he's got to run for his money on, some, on somebody who just flat ass threw Bitcoin in the face of the public at the best possible time ever. I mean, dude, the timing of this right during the protest right on and on Univision no less okay that's <clears throat> let's let's step back just a little bit and and understand that not only did this gentleman stand up and tell the damn truth he did it on TV he did it in relation to all the protests and stuff that's going on but he did it on Univision as far as Latin American or LATAM and uh, Mexican Americans and Latino Americans and Latina Americans, dude, they have a, Univision has a massive audience of non-whites, non-blacks, non-Asian, not everything else, like literally uh, Latinos, okay? Latinos and Latinas. That's big. I don't know if anybody really knows how big the Univision uh, audience is or understands it, but when I'm looking at Univision's numbers, it's immense, okay? This is not something to sneeze at. This kid told the truth to shit, metric shit tons of people right at the exact time that they needed to hear the word Bitcoin. He's right too, by the way. This is how you win. You opt out, you exit the system, you do that by buying Bitcoin. I would add, if you can, get out of the cities because the, 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 the cities are not safe and they, they haven't been healthy for years, but they're becoming so very unsafe. I get it if you can't move. I mean, that takes money. What, where are you going to move to? I mean, do you leave your job? You know, the whole world is in a really weird place right now. I do not think we're going back to normal. I, I, I really don't. However, 
I'm not going to call it the new normal. I'm just saying that if we if we're not going to go back to normal and something else is going to not take its place, but you know, start, you know, coming up. And I think a couple of things to watch are one, as always is Bitcoin, two, remote work. Hell, I was listening to Corey Klipstein on uh talking with Marty Bent and there I didn't realize but Swan's entire a uh, company is decentralized insofar as workers. I mean, they're all from all from everywhere from I like Tennessee, New York, Los Angeles, Hawaii. I think there's a guy outside of in somewhere in Germany. I, you know, it's kind of, kind of amazing. I think you're going to see more of that shit. I really do. So buckle up because <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. Let's see, is there anything else here in uh, community stuff? No, let's get let's skate right on into the morning roundup here. Russia leads global BTC trading on local bitcoins for the second month in a row. Helen Parch writing this one for Coin Telegraph says Russia tops global bitcoin trading on P2P exchange local bitcoins amid local crypto regulation uncertainty. Despite local cryptocurrency cryptocurrency uncertainty, Russia is strengthening its leadership on major peer-to-peer exchange local Bitcoins in the share of Bitcoin trading volumes. Russia has traded the most Bitcoin on local Bitcoin exchanges for two consecutive months, April and May 2020, according to an analysis by crypto media startup CryptoDiffer. According to the data, Russia was responsible for 19% of total BTC trading volumes on local Bitcoins this May, leaving Venezuela and the United States trailing local Bitcoins BTC trading in Venezuela and the United States reportedly accounted for 11% and 10% respectively. Local Bitcoin trading volumes on local Bitcoin in May 2020 amounted to 17,867 Bitcoin, the firm found. The information provided by CryptoDiffer apparently coincides with data from major Bitcoin statistics website Coindance. According to Coindance website, Russia's weekly BTC trading volumes on local Bitcoin accounted for about 800 BTC in May 2020. Meanwhile, Venezuela and the United States were trading around 400 BTC per week during the same month. As spokesperson for local Bitcoins confirmed to Cointelegraph that Russia has been one of the leading markets on the platform. Citing an internal local Bitcoins report, the representative said that Russia was responsible for 17.9% of the total trade volume on the exchange in May 2020. Finland-based local Bitcoins has been providing Bitcoin trading services against the Russian ruble since 2013, the person said. After hitting all-time highs in weekly BTC trading in 2017, Russian markets has remained an important market to date, the local Bitcoins representative noted. Excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, got some allergies going on here. Russia's Bitcoin trading leadership on local Bitcoins comes amid the firm's apparent push into the Russian market in mid-April 2020. Local Bitcoins introduced a dedicated Russian language blog, debuting with an article featuring a Russian community manager, Vladislav Alempiev. Wow, I don't think I butchered that. Oh, well, I'm sure I did. Whatever. Local Bitcoins has been also promoting its services for Russian users, tweeting that the platform is among key crypto exchanges for Russia. Russia became the largest trader of Bitcoin on local Bitcoins amid a general decline of Bitcoin trading activity on the platform. According to data from Coindance Weekly, Bitcoin trading volumes on the exchange collapsed from around 10,000 BTC in May of 2019 to about 4,500 BTC in May of 2020. Bitcoin trading volumes 
on local Bitcoins dropped significantly after the platform abruptly terminated some local cash trades in June 2019. The volumes continued to decline as the exchange was tightening anti-money laundering measures and suspending accounts in multiple regions. The drop on local Bitcoin's global market comes in line with a significant decline in its Russian market. As such, weekly BTC trading volumes in Russia dropped roughly 60% from around 2,000 BTC in May of 2019 to 800 BTC in May of 2020, according to data from Coindance. While Russia is apparently the top market for local Bitcoin so far, the country has seen some issues in terms of crypto regulation. On May the 21st, Russian lawmakers suggested criminalizing crypto violations with fines of up to $28,000 U.S., I guess, and imprisonment for up to seven years. Addressing the issue, the local Bitcoin's rep said, quote, we are following the legal situation in Russia and we hope that Russian people will continue to have access to Bitcoin and its benefits in the future too. So yeah, Russia tried to wrap their mind around what the hell's going on as all the rest of the world's countries will soon follow suit. The UK government is seizing money from old bank accounts. Okay. This is a bit old, depending on how you view it. Uh, This is sort of a resurgence of something that the UK started doing, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Um, I think I actually saw them talk about it in 2011, but I'm not sure. However, I have seen like uh, this type of headline out of the UK in 2018. So if you haven't seen it yet, buckle up for this one because Bitcoin fixes this shit too. Oh, and by the way, I got to give a huge shout out here to Mr. Sue. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Mr. Sue, it's M-R-P-S-E-U. Also known as Phil Gibson. That one I can pronounce. But he's the one that kind of said, would you please read this? And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll read it. I'll read it. The UK government is seizing money from old bank accounts. Liam Frost writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime a couple of days ago. Oh boy. The British government is taking 150 million pounds or $186 million from, quote, dormant bank accounts to support the country's coronavirus response. But it has promised to return owner's funds if they're taken by mistake. What the hell does that even mean? Quote, the culture secretary has announced today that, well, Wednesday, the 20th of May, that 150 million pounds from dormant bank and building society accounts is to be unlocked to help charities, social enterprises, and vulnerable individuals during the coronavirus outbreak, the official announcement stated. Good God. The officials also added that this initiative is supported by 30 firms presenting or participating in the Dormant assets scheme is what they're officially calling it, including HSBC Bank, Lloyd's Banking Group, Nationwide Building Society, Royal Bank of Scotland, the Cooperative Bank, and others. Jesus, like a laundry list of freaking mafia right there, man. Quote, the funding will support urgent work to tackle youth unemployment, expand access to emergency loans for civil society organizations, and help improve uh, sorry, help improve the availability of fair, affordable credit to people in vulnerable circumstances. Bye, bye, bye! The document explained, according to the announcement, a bank or building society account is considered dormant, quote, if the account has been open throughout the period of 15 years, but during that period, no transactions has been carried out in relation to the account 
or <clears throat> on the instructions of the holder, end quote, the UK government is also consulting on the possibility of adding insurance and pensions, investment and wealth management, as well as securities to the dormant asset scheme. If you missed it, I'm going to read that one again. The U- United Kingdom government is also consulting on the possibility of adding insurance and pensions, investment and wealth management, as well as securities to the dormant assets scheme. They're not coming just after the cash in a, in a bank account. They're coming after it all, dudes. This means that dormant issues, insurance policies, share and unit proceeds, dormant distributions and proceeds from investment assets and dormant security distributions will also potentially be up for grabs in the future. Quote, through our proposals to further expand the dormant asset scheme, we want to unlock hundreds of millions more pounds, which is printed, motherfucker. God, million, we want to unlock hundreds of millions more pounds for good causes while keeping customer protection at the heart of the program. Come! Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. Get out. Punch out, bros. Dude, they're coming. They are coming after all of this shit, dude. Oh, my God. <clears throat> that was a quote by the culture secretary, Oliver Dowden. So, gee, thanks, Oliver, for ripping us all off. The government noted that efforts would be made to locate the owners of dormant assets and that only following repeated and unsuccessful efforts will funds be released to support good causes. The government has also promised to return account owners' funds in full if you discover that an account was deemed dormant and the money released. Under the scheme, funds are held by Reclaim Fund LTD, holds sufficient money to cover any re, uh, reclaims while distributing the surplus to the National Lottery Community Fund for social or environmental initiatives across the UK. Get out, dude. At the same time, the announcement didn't mention any attempts to contact potential relatives or dormant accounts holders in case of potential inheritance claims. God. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency advocates quickly took to Twitter to denounce the scheme, arguing that it's one more reason to adopt cryptocurrency, you mean Bitcoin, and pointing out that it's impossible for governments to requisition dormant crypto from its owners. With over 60% of Bitcoin not having moved in a year and $64 million in dormant Bitcoin dating back from the Satoshi era potentially waiting to be reactivated, that's probably just as well. Oh, holy crap, man. What the hell? It's like everybody just took a collective crazy shit, man. This is, this is bad. This is, I don't even, how bad is it? It's about as bad as I've ever seen. I've never even heard of shit like this. Well, I mean, the program was apparent has, this is not a brand new program as of today. Uh, but still, going after equities and securities, in. How the hell do you claim, like, how the hell is your insurance policy dormant? If I stop paying my premium, they cancel the freaking account. I, I, I'm guessing that they're waiting for like somebody to say, oh, he died. Uh, let's go ahead and get that insurance. And just, I guess people just don't do it. Bullshit. Bullshit. That, no, that's one of the very first things you do when a loved one or family member or somebody you're executing the estate for is going to, dies. That's the first thing you do is you file the claim. Things are getting so weird. Okay. 
man, boy, that was a doozy to start up with. Let's let's do this one. Oh, joy, even more fun. Negative interest rates could be needed for the V recovery, Fed economist says. This was uh, written by Jeff Cox for CNBC.com sometime yesterday. Let's see what this ridiculous bullshit has to say. <clears throat> Getting the U.S. economy back to strong growth could require negative interest rates, according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve economist. <clears throat> As many economists dismiss the likelihood of the current record-breaking slump followed being followed by an equally aggressive recovery, Central bank economist Yi Wen said in a paper on the St. Louis Fed's website that achieving that kind of rebound is necessary and possible. The key, he said, is using aggressive stimulus even beyond what authorities deployed during the financial crisis. And that could include taking interest rates below zero. Well, what? Just money printer go burr, bro. I mean, shit, they got it fixed. When compared, the response to two major United States economic downturns, the Great Depression and the financial crisis, he found that the use of aggressive fiscal response through President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal helped generate a V-shaped recovery after the Depression, while primarily monetary responses like low interest rates and Fed asset purchases during the financial crisis produced an L-shaped recovery in which GDP failed to reach potential. Quote, I found that a combination of aggressive fiscal and monetary policies is necessary for the U.S. to achieve a V-shaped recovery in the level of re, uh, real GDP when wrote. Aggressive policy means that the U.S. will need to consider negative interest rates and aggressive government spending, such as spending on infrastructure. When said the combination of policies will be needed so the U.S. can generate an S-shaped pattern. Because let's just go through the whole fucking alphabet, shall we? Y'all are idiots. In which in which growth starts slowly and then quickly bursts higher without it, quote, the economic consequences of the coronavirus pandemic will be permanent. This is bad. Fed Chairman Jay Poe and other central bank officials have been emphasizing the possibility that more fiscal measures will be needed. Congress has passed the $2.2 trillion CARES Act. But Fed officials said higher public spending could be needed as the economic crisis lingers. But J-Po and his colleagues, gangsters, have also expressed strong doubts about whether negative interest rates would ever be used in the United States as they have in Europe and Japan. They cite little evidence that below zero yields are effective. And Powell points out in a discussion last week that they tend to be detrimental to banks. Quote, we don't think that's an appropriate tool here in the United States, Powell told former vice chair and now Princeton University economist Alan Blinder, quote, I would say the evidence on whether it actually works is mixed. There are clearly some negative side effects, as there sometimes are with these things. And it's just not clear to my colleagues and to me on the Federal Open Market Committee that this is a tool that would be appropriate to deploy here in the United States, end quote. Indeed, Wen's paper is merely one observation on the issue and is in no way Binding on the Fed as a whole, while stopping short of going negative, the Fed has pulled its primary policy level that serves a baseline for many other rates down to near zero. It also is purchasing bonds again, though this time with more focus on market functioning than as economic stimulus. Short-term treasury yields occasionally have dipped into negative territory, and traders in the Fed funds futures market are indicating that the Fed's benchmark could dip slightly below zero starting in May 2021. 
Wynn added that negative interest rates by themselves won't be enough stimulus to return an economy that had been growing at a solid pace back to its former self. Quote, importantly, these policies need also need to continue even when the crisis is about to end to provide a further boost, leading to a more robust recovery, he wrote. Furthermore, it's the combination and coordination of both monetary and fiscal policies that provides enough stimulus for the V-shaped recovery. In other words, aggressive monetary policies, such as negative interest rates, may be ineffective on its own without aggressive fiscal stimulus. Whoa. Okay, boys. On somebody, please remind me again why growth at all costs is important. How much, I mean, honestly, the only growth that's really been going on in the world is driven by conspicuous consumption of cheap Chinese crap. That's five C's in a row, y'all. Cheap Chinese crap. We're real good at pulling oil out of the ground, turning it into cheap Chinese plastic shit, and then burning a whole bunch of more oil to ship it over here so that we can use it for four days before it ends up in a landfill. Mark my words, landfills are going to be the new gold mines 25 years from now. You will not be able to purchase landfills at the dirt bottom prices that they are right now because it's just a pile of shit. But 25 years from now, 35 years from now, watch it. Because those things will be excavated like a gold mine and all the stuff will end up being recycled quickly because of high amounts of very, very cheap energy. Now I'm calling it, I'm calling it, that's what I'm calling. But no, honestly, why? if, if the world's GDP is only driven by conspicuous consumption of cheap Chinese crap, then what's the point? What are we doing with our lives? Have we made anything better? No, not in my opinion. It's like, oh, but it's the economy, stupid. Yeah, but what is the economy actually doing? I mean, I I literally watched a whole bunch of assholes loot a moving train on a YouTube video. You know what they were getting? TVs. You tell me about your GDP and how fucking important it is. I'll show you a farm that you can pass down through generations. After blasting Bitcoin, BTC, Goldman Sachs is now shorting the U.S. dollar. Daily Hodel staff writing this for the Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. Goldman Sachs, or sorry, Goldman Sachs is betting against the U.S. dollar right after downplaying Bitcoin and the increasing institutional investments in the top cryptocurrency. During an investment advisory call for its clients last week, when the banking giant blasted the king coin as not a viable investment, Goldman also revealed doubts that the U.S. dollar will perform well amid the reopening of economies worldwide. Now it's becoming clear that Goldman's strategy is to short the world's reserve currency. Oh, man. Goldman strategist led by global foreign exchange heads Zach Pandel and Kamala are under the impression that the price of the U.S. dollar will fall because investors will likely move their funds from the traditional safe haven currency to the stock market (laughs) when the economy recovers. What do you think's fueling that? Oh, my God. They also recommended shorting the U.S. dollar against the Norwegian kroner as as they expect Norway to quickly rebound from the coronavirus crisis. 
quote, Norway's demographics and domestic medical infrastructure make it better equipped for the outbreak than many other countries, and its strong fiscal position puts it in a, at a distinct advantage. Quote, while others are forced to either limit their fiscal policy or dramatically increase borrowing, both potentially currency negatives, Norway is able to repatriate funds from its investments abroad. You, let's... While others are forced to limit their fiscal policy support or dramatically increase borrowing. I, you know, I don't know that let's just end that there. This is again, that's bad. That's not good, bro. (laughs) But okay. If you need, if you need to pay Charon, the ferryman to get you across the river of sticks, don't worry. Because even the dead, even the dead are mining Bitcoin. This one from Adrian Zmunsky out of Cointelegraph about uh, five hours ago. Chinese police find secret Bitcoin mining operation in suspected tombs. Chinese law enforcement (laughs) discovered an illegal Bitcoin mining operation in what appeared to be multiple underground burial sites. Chinese law enforcement discovered the mining operation in what appeared to be multiple burial sites. Local English language news outlet Beijing News reported on May 31st that law enforcement found an illicit mining operation in the northern city or Chinese city of Deking. More precisely, the mining operation was located in what appeared to be two burial mounds in the surrounding fields. Police suspected or decided to investigate the area after a local oil firm told law enforcement about unexplained power losses. The officers found an entrance in the vicinity of the mounds after some digging, discovered Bitcoin mining hardware that was running on stolen electricity. Local media reported that earlier the same week, law enforcement found 54 Bitcoin mining rigs under a dog kennel in the same country in, can't pronounce it, province. Wow. As cryptocurrency prices started to increase again, so did people's willingness to get into cryptocurrency mining. However, The government of the Chinese province of Sichuan recently announced that local firms must cease their cryptocurrency mining operations. This is particularly noteworthy as, according to a Cambridge University study, the province is responsible for nearly 10% of the global Bitcoin hash rate. So again, guys, if you need coins to pay the ferryman, look no further. Just mine with the dead. That's going to do it for the first part. Let's do some vitals. Let's see what the funny money is doing today. Oh, look, joy. Everything is up. All the traditional markets are blazing, blazing along, getting to that, that almighty positive GDP where we can buy yet even more conspicuous consumption of cheap Chinese crap. Okay, S&P 500 is up about a point. Uh, yeah, right around a point. NASDAQ is up about half a point. Oh yeah. Yeah. Half a point. And the Dow Jones is up one and a half points. FTSE's up two and a half points. Nikkei's up one and a third point. Hang Seng index is up one and a third points. Gee, nothing to see here. The only bond that did not get an increase in its yield is the German 10 year bond. It is at minus 0.35. So Oh, wow. So you're not losing as much money holding that worthless pile of garbage instrument, I guess. I don't know. Oil. 
went down about a half. It's last on West Texas Intermediate is 36.57. Gold took a crap for I don't know why, but gold took a giant dump today. It is down almost two points, and that brings it to just at over $1,700, essentially where it was in 2012, just saying for all the kids out there. Let's look at real money. Bitcoin is at $9,563. I really am, I'm trying to think of ways to get out of comparing it to fiat, but for the foreseeable future, I'm going to have to be doing this because honestly, there's not a chart that scales Bitcoin against arable land or uh, something else that would be a value that's permanent on the earth. So we're, I'm going to go with fiat here. 9,563. It looks like our high is going to be over at X rates at 9,565. And low is going to be, God, I don't know, man. Take take your pick. GDAX looks like it's got it at 9,548. So we're real tight here, man. Uh, about 300,000 transactions were performed over the last 24 hours with 12,500 transactions being performed per hour on average. 1.2 million BTC have been sent in that period of the last 24 hours with 50,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 4 BTC and a median transaction value of oh, 0.065 BTC. Highest I've ever seen the median, 620 bucks. Block time is high, 10 minutes and 40 seconds. We've had 0.6 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 87 and a quarter BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hours. With a dip of half a percent in the hash rate, we are right at 101.5 exahashes per second. Of course, this is according to BitInfo chart, so I'm gonna look at my note here in a second. And the last time there's been no development on uh, Bitcoin, according to the GitHub last commit was, I don't know, sometime today. Because, you know, nobody ever, does anything to Bitcoin. Ethereum at 239, Bcash at 249, BSV at 194, Litecoin at 46 and three quarters, Ethereum Classic below seven at $6.89, Dogecoin holding it together, 0.0026 in that 40,000 transactions per uh, for the day. It's beating out Ethereum Classic, it's beating out Litecoin, and oh, it's only about like 200 transactions away from tying Bcash. So why use Bcash? Just use Dogecoin. Well, I, honestly, guys, just use Bitcoin, whatever. I am seeing 28,700 pending transactions. Let's uh, jump over to uh, Clark Moody Bitcoin at bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash Bitcoin. Yeah, it matches. Transactions is 28,996. So that means that there's roughly 25 megabytes chilling out in my mempool, or at least Clark Moody's mempool, or wherever he's getting it from. Okay, whatever. Uh, Lightning. Let's look at Lightning. <clears throat> we have 930 BTC in the uh, Lightning network as capacity giving us $8.88 million in liquidity over 7,155 nodes, consisting of 35,941 channels. There is 414.5 BTC in Tor capacity. That brings us down below 45%, back down to 44.6%. 
as the percentage of Tor capacity for the Lightning Network with the number of Tor nodes holding it consistently at 2,060. That's going to do it for Vital Statistics. This episode of Don't Use Any Exchanges is brought to you by Liam Frost, who's writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. CoinSquare hacker reveals cruel plan to now steal Bitcoin. The individual or group who obtained personal information of Canadian crypto exchange CoinSquare's users intends to use the stolen data to conduct a wave of SIM swapping attacks, according to Vice. Quote, the original intent was to sell it, but we figured we would make more money by SIM swapping the accounts, a pseudonymous hacker reportedly told the outlet in an online chat on June the 2nd. SIM swapping involves cloning their victim SIM cards, creating functionally identical copies. This allows the culprit to receive any data that is being sent to the original device, including SMS confirmations and SMS-based two-factor authentication codes. This information can then be used to log into the crypto exchange accounts, for example, and steal Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. It's not uncommon either. As Decrypt reported last November, two men in Massachusetts were charged for using SIM swapping techniques to see, steal half a million dollars in cryptocurrency. Apparently, CoinSquare drew the hacker's ire by claiming on its website to be the most secure trading platform, and he accepted the challenge. Yeah, beat the living shit out of him too. Quote, I set out to embarrass the company for claiming they the most secure Canadian exchange, and obviously that is a lie, the individual added. <clears throat> The hacker also reportedly provided the proof that he indeed has compromised the exchange in the form of a list that includes email and, in some cases, physical addresses, as well as phone numbers of over 5,000 CoinSquare users. The data also showed that the platform was keeping records of total dollars funded for six months and marked some of its users as high-value client. At least CoinSquare's customers uh, can find solace in the fact that the document did not contain any passwords. Oh. In its turn, CoinSquare told Vice that the data was not leaked via hack, blaming an ex-employee for stealing the information instead. Quote, the data was obtained as the result of an employee theft of information contained within a client relationship database used for prospecting. Stacy Hosack, general counsel for at CoinSquare, said, Hey, Stacy, you spelled dog ate my homework wrong. Just a bullshit excuse, man. She added that CoinSquare found out about the leak roughly a year ago and notified law enforcement, data protection authorities, and all impacted users, at least whom the platform knew about. Hosack also claimed CoinSquare did not realize the full extent of the breach. Until recently, quote, since we were made aware of this issue last year, CoinSquare has replaced internal sales management systems, rewritten data management policy, and upgraded its internal controls, and we are not aware of any breach or additional employee theft since that time, she continued to lie. <clears throat> it looks like the plague of crypto exchange hacks is not dying down. A report by CypherTrace found that cryptocurrency theft in the first months of 2020 has already reached $1.36 billion dollars including hacks and fraud, and it could breach record highs by the end of the year. So, guys, honestly, get your shit off the exchange. If it's if at all possible, don't even use them to buy Bitcoin. I know, I get it. How else to do it? 
I don't know. We're all working through this together. I would, if, if I could ever get paid, ever get paid doing this, I would want to accept in BTC without going through an exchange. Why? Because I got my own node. I control that particular part of my destiny. I can just get BTC and it never hits an exchange. I mean, yeah, the coins may carry with it traces of its history, but hey, we have, you know, we're probably going to get coin swap here pretty quick. Not quick, two weeks. It's always two weeks in this this environment. But there's Wasabi, there's there's Samurai, there's there's all manner of stuff that I can I can utilize if I need to. Okay, so if we can, I would rather be paid in BTC than to go through the crap of taking dirty icky fiat and taking it somewhere where I have to provide like a copy of my driver's license to somebody so that they can give me BTC. I don't like it. However, right now, honestly, it's one major way to get Bitcoin. So again, at least get it off the exchange. At least get it off there. Uh, and and this one. Zoom won't encrypt free calls so it can collaborate with the FBI. I'm glad that Stephen O'Neill, writing for Cointelegraph, sometime this morning, used the term collaborate. Zoom decides to provide limited encryption despite numerous security issues while blockchain developers move ahead with privacy-focused solutions. Uh, Zoom, the video conference app, whose particularly popularity is rocketed on the back of the global lockdown, won't be encrypting calls for free users. This way, the company hopes to create a space for collaboration with the FBI and other authorities, Zoom CEO Eric Wan said during a June 2 conference call. According to Wan, Zoom's end-to-end encryption service, which is currently under development, will be available exclusively for corporate clients to prevent bad actors from using the app. Quote, free users for sure. We don't want to give that because we also want to work together with FBI, with local law enforcement, in case people use Zoom for a bad purpose. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. A couple, we were talking about that that whole uh, uh, UK stealing people's uh, dormant bank accounts for, quote, good purposes. Here we have bad purposes. We're making decisions of people's property, whether it's their information. Well, actually, when you think about it, it's all information. Whether it's money or information, it's still all information, right? So good or bad. If you were to walk into any philosophy department on any campus in the United States or probably even talk about philosophy in a high school class, and you started using the words, it's a good purpose or it's a bad purpose. If anybody in that room other than you had any sense about them, they would slap the shit out of you because nobody knows what the hell good or bad actually means. The best you can hope for is like one of the Supreme Court justices talking about what pornography is. He said, I don't know what the definition of pornography is, but I know it when I see it. That's the best you can do here. You cannot wrap policy with good or bad because those words actually make no sense. You have to dive in and get into situations where you 
you really describe this stuff because good and bad, dude, that's just that's just a pass. That's just a pass off shit so that anybody like regular normies that don't think very, you know, closely about things, so they'll go, "Oh, I know what good and bad means." No you don't. Nobody actually knows what good or bad is. Keep that shit in mind. Zoom's problem with privacy and security are well documented. One of the flaws in the app's security feature has spawned a phenomenon known as Zoom bombing, where trolls get access to private gatherings and disrupt them. Additionally, Zoom has been accused of sending data from users of its iOS app to Facebook and making false claims that video calls were encrypted, while half a million Zoom accounts have recently surfaced on the dark net. In an apparent attempt to address security issues last month, Zoom acquired Keybase, an end-to-end encryption startup that has received funding from A16Z, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian, Ohanian, I guess that's how you pronounce it, and the Stellar Development Foundation, among others. However, the latest update suggests that the majority of calls will remain unencrypted. As reported by Cointelegraph, Zoom security failures have stimulated the development of You guessed it, blockchain-based video chat solutions. One of them is Debrief, a decentralized application launched by Voice Over Internet Protocol Pioneer and Vonage co-founder Jeff Pulver in April last month. Brave, the privacy-centric cryptocurrency-powered web browser, also launched in-browser video calls featuring end-to-end encryption. So, yeah, don't trust these guys. Uh, I wouldn't trust Zoom. I, I actually have never used Zoom. I don't know what happened and why everybody went to Zoom. There was video chat options all over the place. We've been using them for years. Ask yourself, why Zoom? Why now? Swiss bank fires back at Goldman Sachs over Bitcoin critique. They find it insulting. Greg Thompson has written this one sometime today for Decrypt.co. Insulting. I love it. The head of digital assets at SwissQuote has fired back at Goldman Sachs over a presentation it made dismissing Bitcoin as an asset class. Chris Thomas of SwissQuote Bank published a point-by-point rebuttal of Goldman Sachs' recent critique of Bitcoin, which Thomas decried as being very one-sided, unfair to the crypto community, and a disservice to the Goldman Sachs investor base. Leaked slides! From a Goldman Sachs presentation on May the 27th revealed the investment bank's extremely skeptical stance on Bitcoin, as well as stating that cryptocurrency isn't an asset class. The report claimed that Bitcoin offered very little in the way of investment rationale and was ultimately too volatile to handle. This because you're wimps. Thomas rebuked Goldman Sachs' opinion that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general did not constitute an asset class of its own, writing, quote, the world is witnessing an emerging asset class being formed. Bitcoin and select others are the driving force behind the paradigm shift, which is happening, wrote Thomas. Goldman Sachs is ignoring the strong foundations of this emerging asset class based on cryptographic principles and a world where many, if not all, assets will be tokenized and trading them will be democratized. The Goldman Sachs presentation emphasized Bitcoin's extreme volatility, noting its 37% drop in value in just one day on March 12, 2020. Thomas pointed out that such volatility is not unique to cryptocurrencies, pointing out that the severe crash in oil prices just one month later. (laughs) Absolutely, Bitcoin did fall by 37%. And just one month later, oil markets plunged 330% in the space of 24 hours, nearly a 10x greater drop, touching lows of minus $40 per barrel at one point, he wrote, adding in December, 
2019, Goldman Sachs predicted the average price of oil through 2020 would be 63 bucks a barrel, end quote. Thomas told Decrypt he felt obliged to offer a rebuttal to Goldman Sachs' misinformation insulting argument, or sorry, misinformed insulting argument. He said Goldman Sachs' view of cryptocurrency isn't necessarily typical of all major financial institution who, <clears throat> institutions who must balance, balance their fear of disruption with a willingness to adapt. Quote, the larger banks are on one side scared of being disrupted, but on the other side want to open themselves up to new revenue streams and investment opportunities, Thomas told Decrypt. JP Morgan changed their tune and onboarded two of the largest crypto companies in the last month. Not only JP Morgan, but Bloomberg Intelligence just released a report that named Bitcoin and gold as the top candidates to advance this year. It looks like Goldman Sachs is outnumbered. Yeah, probably. That's the end of that one. But hopefully Goldman will go the way of the dodo. Uh, I mean, honestly, this, <clears throat> you know, people in, in the Bitcoin space that I have a great amount of respect for are, uh, well, biologists. And biology happens even if there's not a beating heart or blood flowing through veins. It's because it's an essential truth of the universe. There's been chemical evolution. Uh, there's been probably subatomic particle evolution. Uh, there, ha there is clearly biochemical and organic chemistry evolution and resulting in physiological evolution of species. This is no different. Goldman Sachs is, you can think of it as an individual that was born, it goes, has a life cycle, and dies. The thing, most of the time, you know, we hope that we die, just generally speaking, of old age. Just because our bodies just become too wrecked to carry on anymore, and the timer in our DNA goes off because there's something called a, a telomere that sort of, I won't get into it, but it's sort of like a genetic clock, right? And it just, it starts breaking down and you just die. Other times you are physiologically unfit for a, a rapidly changing environment. Like let's say that I had a mutation that gave me webbed fingers and toes and everybody laughed, pointed at me and laughed and called me webby. Oh my God. And then I met like another, like let's say I met a woman and uh totally regular woman and had kids with that woman. And two of my kids had webbed fingers and toes and one of them didn't. And so three out of five in the family would have webbed fingers and toes and two wouldn't. Now let's say a great flood occurred. As much as it's hard to talk about the fact that like, you know, even, even in a situation where it's just a hypothetical, the death of a wife and a child, you see where I'm going with this. If Goldman doesn't turn around, and I mean turn around real quick, and developed webbed fingers and toes, this flood is going to drown their ass. That's all I'm saying, man. That's all I'm saying. Coinbase repeats pattern of bullshit of shutting down when Bitcoin gets volatile. This one is written by Turner Wright sometime this morning for Cointelegraph. Members of the crypto Twitter uh, sphere are speculating the busiest exchange in the U.S. may be intentionally crashing its site during volatile times. Coinbase has gone offline four times in the last three months during major Bitcoin price moves and furious users unable to access their portfolios are demanding answers. On June the 1st, when Bitcoin rallied from 9,600 to 10,380 in less than an hour, Coinbase users trying to access their portfolio 
were met with the message that the site is temporarily unavailable. You think? On May the 9th, two days prior to the anticipated rewards having, the price of Bitcoin plummeted nearly $2,000 in under 24 hours, likely due to a massive sell-off by whales and other investors. On April the 29th, BTC rose nearly 12% to reach 8600 On both occasions, many Coinbase users once again were unable to trade any digital assets. Alarmingly, this issue wasn't resolved even following the crypto bloodbath in mid-March when some users of the exchange weren't able to sell off their Bitcoin during the price drop to the 3,000s. Many users of the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the United States have reported being unable to trade these times of peak Bitcoin volatility. Unfortunately, huge downturns or price surges are often when traders want to buy and sell the most. Losses can mount when users aren't able to access their accounts to sell into crypto and potential profits can simply disappear when they can't buy anything. Coinbase's status page includes updates on current outages, but cites nothing more than connectivity issues for June 1st, May the 9th, and April 29th, and network congestion on March the 12th. In the absence of any kind of official statement from CEO Brian Armstrong or other representatives of Coinbase, members of crypto Twitter have been quick to offer their two cents to Satoshi's. On the exchanges going down at crucial crypt trading times, crypto user, crypt, or that, that, Twitter user, crypto whale posted a chart to his 18,000 plus followers on June the 4th, shortly after the recent outage speculating that Coinbase had a built-in algorithm to automatically shut it down anytime there was a BTC price movement over $500. Dan Gambardello from Crypto Capital Ventures simply asked, how does an exchange with an $8 billion valuation crash every time Bitcoin pumps 5%? Crypto exchanges, even large ones like BitMEX, do have problems with user access during price swings. However, Coinbase seems to be developing a reputation for it among the crypto community. The site itself completely crashed in June of 2019, causing the price of Bitcoin to fall $1,400. Cointelegraph has reached out to Coinbase but did not receive a response at press time. We will update this article if we hear back from them. I would not hold my breath. Brian Armstrong and Coinbase hates Bitcoin. I honestly don't know why, but they do. This is interesting. Chinese chip maker SMIC preps move into crypto mining hardware. Oh, it's another foundry, bro. Another foundry. China's largest semiconductor fab company, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, or SMIC, is planning to raise $2.8 billion in capital via listing on Shanghai's tech-focused star market. SMIC will use its newly acquired capital to start a production line offering 14 nanometer chips the standard for processors used in smartphones and crypto miners. The company is partnering with Chinese computer manufacturer Kanan to manufacture a yet-to-be-disclosed crypto miner per Kanan's first quarter earnings call earlier this month. SMIC's plan to upgrade its production capabilities in part of a, is part of a bid to offer China's electronic sector to a viable alternative to Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or the TSMC. It follows the news that TSMC has cut off Chinese tech multinational Huawei as a result of U.S. sanctions. Although TSMC is a Taiwanese company, the majority of its manufacturing equipment is U.S. made, meaning that it needs to comply with U.S. sanctions and export controls. 
Guangzhou-based GF Securities has published research showing that U.S. firms control 50% of the core process equipment market for Chinese fabs. Beijing has long anticipated that trade tension would disrupt the tech supply chain and has accelerated efforts to become self-reliant and autonomous. The star market, akin to the United States NASDAQ, was launched in July 2019 as a platform to raise capital towards China's efforts to achieve tech autonomy. Unlike Huawei, the crypto mining industry is not a target for U.S. tech sanctions. However, broad sanctions against Chinese firms could hinder their ability to get critical application-specific integrated circuits required for miners. Those are also known as ASICs. <clears throat> and SMIC's technology currently lags behind that of other chip foundries. TSMC is already working on developing a 5 nanometer process node, while Samsung has announced that its facilities will be ready to produce 8 nanometer chips in the near future. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when they said that they were going to start off with 14 nanometers. They're, you're kind of starting with some, with some cement loafers there, pal. I don't know, man. 14 nanometers is kind of old tech, but whatever. So, okay. No, uh, and all of a sudden, we're done with the morning roundup. All right. Before we get into the daily train wreck, I've got to voice my displeasure with Rodolfo Novak. Rodolfo, dude, you shit can my ability to cross post to your Bitcoin hackers instance of Mastodon. I found that shit out. I couldn't understand why my stuff wasn't going over there. I told y'all about this on Monday where I was using Mastodon, but I was using it basically as a backup. And it's not that I, you know, and I'm using Bitcoin hackers. That's where I'm, that's where my instance or that's the instance that I'm, that I'm on right now. And it was working fine. And then all of a sudden, man, my tweet stopped propagating over to the, to the Mastodon instance of Bitcoin hackers. I reset, you know, my, what, what, what am I using? Cross poster? Yeah, cross poster. Reset it. And then uh, found out that the only account that I've got logged in is my Twitter. So I, re, I tried to reinstantiate getting my Mastodon account logged in. And it says, sorry, BitcoinHackers.org is blocked in this instance. Dude, come on, Rodolfo. And the reason I'm bitching at Rodolfo is that as far as I know, and it's pretty credible, he's the guy that started this instance. Now, yes, it's his rules. It's his game. I'm not really digging into Rodolfo. I, I love Rodolfo. He's actually got one of the best senses, senses of humor in all of Bitcoin Twitter. But dude, come on. I mean, what? come on, please. Please unlock it, man. It would make things so much, so much more fun. Um, now, <clears throat> let's let's do let's let's go ahead and, and get this uh, train wreck uh, figured out here. Secrets at Secrets of Crypto mm. says this was on June the first that um, the technology in the altcoin space is so far beyond Bitcoin. Don't be surprised when BTC is one day dethroned. Hashtag crypto. Ain't nobody got time for that. Dude, you know, Secrets of Crypto, actually, I don't know what's going on with this. I haven't seen this account in like months, like probably double digit months. 
and all of a sudden this shit gets posted. I mean, I guess to his credit, I'm not sure what's going on with this dude, but there's like one more tweet that, that he attached as a reply to his own that says, Bitcoin will be a great long-term store of value, perhaps hitting 250K next year, but there are other altcoins that have use cases that will surpass the king in terms of market cap. No, no. There is nothing in the altcoin space. There is nothing in the altcoin space that makes any sense. Out of the 99.99% of bullshit in this space, half of that straight up scams, if probably, and I'm being, I'm being kind. The other, oh, I don't know, let's say another 33% left is people that mean well, but can't execute. And whatever's left after that is just people who did a system designed a function that sounds good, but when you get right down to it, the game theory is not guarded against well enough that people aren't going to be able to just destroy the whole damn thing. A case in point, Ethereum. It's, it's so complex. And the more complexity you add to a system, the more you can game the system. It's just a rule. It's not, it's not my opinion. It's a rule. So I don't know what Secrets of Crypto is up to at this point. I don't know if it's a compromised account, but it's all, it's all bullshit. So don't listen to him. Let's go ahead and get into a joke from Dad Says Jokes, bro down. <laughs> How do you get rich in ancient Greece? Well, step one, become an oracle. Step two, profit. Yes. Mm. Yes. Step three is, of course, bro down. But, you know, um, there's nothing else to say. God, I can't believe all of that went off and I'm still under an hour. I don't know, man. Am I talking too fast? the hell's going on? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to target a little bit over an hour. I don't want to get into like, you know, where I, I did one show that was like an hour and 30 minutes. And I think that that's probably a little too long, but dude, I don't know how I'm, I'm cutting these. Either the news stories that I'm reading are getting shorter or I'm getting faster. I don't know what the hell's going on, but we are, I am rapidly approaching the 250th episode of Bitcoining. 250 is not bad. That's not bad in, 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 a, in a very real way. That sort of, I've kind of pegged that as my demarcation point for have you served the community enough? Have you paid your dues back to the community enough? And I'm going to go ahead and peg that when I hit episode 251 of Bitcoin Am, that my dues will have been paid. Um, so if I start reaching out to, uh, people in the community for, uh, sponsorships, because I really, really want to just do this. I really, I want to get better at doing this. I want to put different stuff in, you know, but I need to pay dues first. And these are the dues that I pay. So if you see me tweet someone that says, Hey, I'm open for, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a sponsorship, um, be easy. Okay. Now, if I, I intend 
I fully intend to not target shit companies. I'm not happy with DeFi. I just found out that DeFi is in part or was in part funded by freaking Coinbase. You know, stuff like that. I want, I want good, you know, good Bitcoin companies. I don't, I don't, I don't want to like be, it's like, it's like for instance, Kraken. Well, they deal in shit coins. I yeah. So, you know, I, I guess this is the problem that I see, or this is the problem that I think other, you know, like a very well, you know, well-respected uh, Bitcoin podcasters in the space have is that you get a, you know, you get a, 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 a sponsor or something. And then you find out that, ah, there's a little shit coinery going on in there. It's like, damn. So anyway, I'm just saying, I'm just asking, you know, for a little bit of leniency because I'm going to screw it up. It's going to happen. I'm going to screw it up. All right. I'm not saying like, and, but if you see me screwing up and tell me, say, Hey, that those, those people that, that you're thinking about, no, 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 no. And here's why. And, and give me the rational reasons. Not that they're a good company or a bad company, because as we discussed earlier today, the words good and bad don't make a difference because it depends on how you're defining those freaking terms. Stop doing that, by the way. But if you've got some good reasoning, then just, just tell me. But I figure 250, you know, 250 episodes, I'm thinking that that's probably good. I think that that would be like good dues, right? Good dues. So again, if you see me fucking up, make sure you tell me. But also, if I can start making any kind of money in the space at all without having to go be a mailman, something like that in my off time, you know, cut me some slack, bro. It's honestly, because I like this community a hell of a lot better than any other communities that I've ever, ever, ever been a part of at that time. I'm talking about work communities, different industries. I mean, you name it, man. This is my favorite out of all the shit that I've been involved with from gaming communities and like 3D animation and gaming and all that music industry. Uh, this one, you guys are my absolute favorite. So give me a hand and go subscribe to the podcast. Send this podcast to other people and say, hey, if you just want the news of what's going on in the, you know, maybe a couple of jokes. Yeah, tune in, bro. You know, and that would be helpful because it's like if, you know, there's some people that have said, look, I'd, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to throw you some change, but I'm stacking all the sats that I can. That's fine because time is also a value. And if you take the time out of your day, to go and give me a, a five-star review on Apple iTunes and pass the pod around, tweet about it. You know, like when I send, when I send out my, um, <clears throat> when I send out my announcements that the show has gone live, retweet them, put it like, do me a favor. If you use some kind of other, like, you know, Instagram or Mastodon or Facebook or YouTube, well, not YouTube, that worked that well there, but it, you get what I'm saying. Spread the pot around, help a brother out because all I want to do is help y'all out. So with that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.